Did you ever get lost when you were a child? Imagine. It's the summer of 1948. My dad has re-enlisted in the Navy. We move from Jacksonville, Florida to his new post, Charleston, South Carolina. I'm six years old and I'm about to enter second grade. That's young to be starting second grade, but back then kids with October birthdays could still squeak in under the wire. We lived in a place called Ashley Homes. The name sounded fancy. The reality was it was a housing project, like others we would live in up and down the East Coast. Mom explained I would be riding a regular city bus to get to my school near downtown. The first two days, she and my brother Mike rode there and back with me. At the end of the second day, I insisted I could do the third day all by myself. After all, bigger kids from the project rode the same bus. I'd just wait at the bus stop with them in the morning and ride home with the same kids in the afternoon. Sounds simple, right? On the morning of the third day, I made it to school just fine. The problem began when we lined up for dismissal. You see, I had a new red plaid book bag, and the buckles on my new book bag were too stiff for my small fingers. By the time I got everything in the bag, managed to fasten the buckles, and made it to the classroom door, well, the teacher and the class were long gone. I stared up and down the hallway. Which way had they gone? Which way? Left? Right? I had no idea. A girl about my age came skipping down the hall. She sure seemed to know what she was doing. So I followed her. Down the hall and out through a set of double doors. Did you ever notice how easy it is to follow somebody else who seems to know what they're doing, even if you don't know anything about who they are or where they're really going? On the other side of those double doors, there should have been a playground. Across the playground, there was another street going to the bus stop. Well, I followed the girl out the doors and faced a strange street with cars whizzing by in both directions. No problem. I just go back inside and find the right door. But when I tugged on the door behind me, I found it had locked when I went out. I sat down on the steps and thought, what if I walked alongside the building until I came to the end, went around the corner to the other side, and found the proper door? From that door, I knew I could make it to the bus stop. Seemed like a good plan. But when I reached the corner of the building, I found a high chain-link fence attached to the edge of the school. There was no way around. That fence ran alongside the playground and turned at the end of the block. I followed the fence until it turned. At least now, I felt I was going in the right direction to find the bus stop. When the fence turned again around the back of the playground, the street in front of me wasn't so busy. So I crossed it, thinking the bus stop would be a block or so ahead. It wasn't. I kept walking carefully crossing each not-so-busy street in my path. As I walk, the day grew later and later. We didn't have a car at the time, so my poor mother had no way to come looking for me. 
You might think some of the dozens of people I passed would think it was strange a small girl with her hair in braids wearing a school dress and carrying a new red plaid book bag would be walking alone near downtown Charleston. Well, those days were different. They were more peaceful times. It was generally believed even small children had a measure of common sense and would ask for help if they needed it. And if a kid was in trouble, wouldn't they be crying? No one asked where I was going or if I needed help. I wasn't crying yet because I still believed I could find my own way to the bus stop. Reality was, for the first time in my life, I had no one to call on, no one to tell me what I ought to do next. It's a lonely feeling when you realize everything depends on you. Fortunately, my dad had armed me with two pieces of very valuable information. He had helped me learn my address, and he had me repeat this to him many times. And he had said if I ever needed help, I should look for a fire station or a policeman. Good advice. Well, eventually, sure enough, I did pass a firehouse. The doors were open. Firemen sat on chairs, talking and laughing just inside. They didn't notice me. Well, even at age six, a girl can have a little pride in being independent and self-sufficient. Maybe if I walked just a little longer, the right bus stop would appear. I went straight past the firehouse. Not many steps beyond the firehouse, a large black dog, about half my size, came loping down the sidewalk right toward me. Its red tongue hung out and I could see its teeth. Fortunately, this dog seemed to know where he was going and he took no notice of me at all. But the dog got me thinking. Soon it would be getting dark. A little breeze blew dirty newspapers down the sidewalk and into alleys. What if I had to sleep in an alley under dirty newspapers? What if other not-so-friendly dogs roamed the city streets at night? Well, common sense kicked in. I turned and walked back to the fire station. I told the firefighters I was lost, and I burst into tears. One firefighter picked me up and set me on the edge of a table. They made a circle around me. One said he thought I needed an ice cream cone, and he was going to go across the street and get one for me. But he only had a nickel, and he said I really needed two scoops. Another firefighter chipped in a nickel for a second scoop. Yes, there really was a time back in 1948 when ice cream was a nickel a scoop. I know, because I was there. It wasn't so bad being perched on a table, being the center of attention while I licked two scoops of chocolate ice cream until they began talking about how to get me home. I stopped in Midlick when I heard the words police and police car. Disaster loomed ahead. I'd heard moms in the project talking about certain teenagers who had been brought home in police cars. They call those kids juvenile delinquents. From the tone of their voice, I know a juvenile delinquent was a terrible thing to be. No matter how hard I tried, I could not think of a way to stop this awful turn of events. The police car came. There was no chance to make a break and run for the elusive bus stop. 
I hunched down in the back of the black and white, knowing that my life of crime had begun. Well, Mom and Mike made several more trips to and from school with me until there was no doubt in all of our minds I really could get myself home. Meanwhile, I vowed that whenever I went out into this world alone, I would never be coming home in a police car again. There are three things I learned that day. First, if you need help, you've got to admit it. Pride kicks in and you don't want to. Second, you've got to ask the right people. Ask people who really know how to help you. And third, never let other people label you something you're not. This has been Speeding Past 80. Thanks for listening. Join us again next week.